Well, good morning. We're turning to Acts chapter four again in our study. I hope you had a great New Year's. And I don't know about you, I'm always kind of glad when the holidays are over and we're back to uh, regular life again. And so good to see. I won't I won't say the joke about not seeing you for a year. Uh, that's that's been that's already been used. So I won't do that again this morning. And so um, anyway, good to see you this morning. You might remember that chapter four marks a pretty dramatic shift in the life of the newly birthed church. It wasn't long after Pentecost that it came face to face with the first wave of persecution. We're going to see five. So we're going to touch on this subject periodically as we work our way through Acts. So Peter and John had been speaking in the temple. You remember the man had been healed and uh, he went into the temple along with Peter and John and Peter gave a sermon And we know from the timing of things that it was about three hours that they were conversing with the crowds. And so that drew the attention of the authorities. The authorities came, arrested them, and put Peter and John in jail. Our topic is not an easy one, but it's necessary. We're talking about the topic of persecution. Kind of a foreign idea to us, but I don't believe it will be after this morning. My goal today is to expose us to what's going on around us. We talked about the spiritual powers of darkness and wickedness. And I want to try to show you this morning where that is and how that is coming at you and I. And that we need to be prepared to deal with that. Last week, I ran out of time. Uh, This is part two. So I kind of want to do a quick review and then we're going to expand on this idea of what Peter and John experienced. Our first lesson was really a reminder that all believers in Christ, as believers in Christ, we need to know that we've been called into a spiritual warfare. I think, by the way, that's one of the first things that we should tell new believers, is that you have now been set against the world. And so don't be surprised if you lose friends. Don't be surprised If your family resists you, don't be surprised if you have opposition. Don't be surprised if you have Peter moments where you're kind of put on the spot and and you fail and you may not succeed at that time due to your spiritual walk or your maturity. It's very clear in Scripture that the call to come to Christ means that we are being enlisted as soldiers into a battle for Christ. And because the church has been so blessed and our culture has been uh, up till recently, I think, a little more uh, not as hostile toward this cause, I think it's a little bit of a surprise to us. And so the scriptures are very clear. It uses battle language all over the place, as we talked about last week. Listen to what Paul wrote from prison. He's for, he says, for to you, it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Interesting here, the word granted is derived from the word grace. It's a better translation. That you've been graced out, not only to believe in Christ, but you've been graced out that we may also suffer for the cause of Christ. I don't know if any of us, maybe some of you have, really experienced severe opposition for your faith. 
Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. Maybe it's been family. Maybe it's been some friends, whatever. So God's grace then is granted to us to call us out of darkness into the light and then suffer for his cause. We don't want to lose sight of that. And I think as we go through Acts, this idea is going to keep coming up. And I think that's going to be helpful for us. So I think we need to recognize that suffering for Christ isn't accidental. It's really part of the call. And I know it's strange, isn't it? It's strange to talk about this, although I don't think it's as strange as it was when I first went into ministry, because things have changed. So because of that, then, number two, we have to anticipate opposition. Christ is very clear about this, that if they hated him, he's going to hate, the world is going to hate us. If he experienced opposition, we're going to experience opposition. And if we never experience opposition then we really have to ask ourselves, am I really fulfilling my ambassadorship for Christ? Plenty of opportunity. Plenty of opportunity to speak up when maybe we've been silent. John gives us a pretty significant warning in 1 John 3.13. He says, do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. And so the idea here is that it's going to. I don't know why we're surprised. We really shouldn't be. And I think it's because we haven't had much persecution, had much opposition. So that's kind of where we left off last time. And as I promised, I had one more point that I wanted to cover. We noted in Ephesians 6 that Matthew referred to is that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Doesn't mean that we don't have opposition with human interaction because we do. But ultimately, that's because there's a demonic activity around us. There probably isn't here this morning where there's demonic activity going on and probably what I'm going to be preaching. So I pray that God would keep us safe as we go through this and as we expose some things that we need to know about and and, and embrace as reality. So we have this spiritual warfare Pastor, I used to be under called an angelic conflict. There's a conflict between Satan and God. And we're caught in the middle of that. Satan has his soldiers, and Christ calls his soldiers to fight that battle. And certainly you recognize there's a battle. We're especially to be alert and sober to the schemes or methodia, methods of the devil. The devil has methods. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. What, how is he working? How do we know he's working? And so we should see him then behind Peter and John's arrest because the devil is working through them. Okay, it's not just a human battle. It's not just people that are angry. Satan is using them as lackeys to carry out his will. So here's the question that I want to answer this morning. What is Satan's goal through persecution? What is he trying to accomplish? What is he really after by, and what was he after by throwing the apostles into into prison? And what is he trying to accomplish today? How do we know we're in a spiritual battle? What does it look like? And how do we know if we're experiencing it? Well, he brings on persecution for one primary reason, and that's because he wants to keep us from witnessing. He wants to keep us from giving the gospel. 
He wants to keep us from sharing our faith. I've encouraged the new people that are going to be joining. I know I know, public speaking is frightening. I've really been encouraged so far. Everybody's done it. But I really believe that the devil would not want us to give a public testimony to God's grace in our lives. Wouldn't you agree? And so we really encourage people to push through that fear and give their testimony for God. So the idea of stopping their witnessing was the very reason they were arrested. And the leaders, of course, being led by the devil and by demons, had to put a stop to Peter and John's evangelism because they were becoming a threat. They're standing there with thousands, maybe, of people around them watching John and uh, Peter and John, and they're losing their uh, power and authority over the people. They're beginning to panic. Why? Because there were two men that were willing to get up and speak truth and share the gospel. Again, they were the devil's lackeys carrying out his diabolical plan to oppose the gospel. And as we learned last time, it backfired, didn't it? By being arrested, Peter and John, by God's providence, was placed square in the face of the greatest opposition at that time, which the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin, all the Jewish leaders. It said the highest men in the land were now before Peter and John. And that happened because they were arrested which is a principle, of course, of persecution. So what I want to do this morning is to drill down on this. And so what is he really trying to accomplish? Well, I believe point A, I believe that he wants to create fear. The devil wants to create an atmosphere of fear. And you think about it, their arrest had to be shocking and sobering to the audience. Why? Because they were the same ones that crucified Christ. They saw their Messiah brutally beaten, almost to death. And these men were responsible for that. So they're standing there, and these crowds are listening to them, and and they're watching them, and some of them are becoming believers. We know at least 2,000 became believers that day. But the threat was there. They had the power to put them to death. And by the way, it was treason if somebody turned their back on Judaism. So that was the pressure going on in that particular context. Fear is an extremely powerful emotion. And it has the power to move masses of people, doesn't it? We know. We saw that happen with COVID. The fear of sickness may still be keeping people from church. We had a threat a threat of sickness. And we know, we've heard of stories of people dying. It was a very real threat. As a matter of fact, it was such a threat and people were so gripped with fear that it shut down our entire economy. Think about that. People were forced to wear masks. And by the way, much of the world was shut down. And what I'm What I'm noticing, and I'm sure you have too, this is not just isolated to America. What we're experiencing here and what we're going to talk about this morning is happening worldwide. That's a whole other thing. That means we're closer to the end than we were. That's sharp, right? We're closer today than we were yesterday. And so we are. I mean, the things that are happening are worldwide. As I stated before, I believe that COVID was a test for our tolerance for risk. And I believe that it was a foretaste, a little example. When threat comes, church, 
Are you going to run and hide? Are are you going to isolate yourself? Or are you going to stand out trusting in God? That's easy for me to preach. And probably easy for us to say, yeah, pastor, I'm not going to hide if there's a threat. And you have to ask yourself, where was your tolerance during that? I understand there's wisdom. I I, I get that. But I think that was a small test of what is the church willing to risk in order to be obedient to God. By the way, we do know this, that it's going to be fear of the Antichrist and a fear of his system, his system of persecution, that's going to force the world into compliance. So fear is going to be a very big deal. And it's happening today. Jesus warned us about fear and how it impacts discipleship. And Matthew 10, 24 through 33 says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a slave above his master. It is enough, it is enough for the disciple that he become like his teacher and a slave like his master. He's speaking, by the way, of himself and his disciples. And he says, If they have called the head of the house Beelzebul, That was Jesus. By the way, Beelzebul means the Lord of the flies. How much more will they malign the members of his household? The point is, if we're following Christ, we're going to be maligned. We're going to be maligned just like our, our master was. The head of the household was maligned and rejected and ridiculed. And so will we. If we're following Christ, the church, the family of God is going to be rejected. We're going to be opposed. And because of that, Jesus gives a couple of warnings. Look at verse 26. He says, therefore, what? Do not fear. Therefore, connects us back to the suffering, back to the maligning. Do not fear them, for there is nothing concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. Did you hear that, church? What I'm speaking to you in the silence of your heart, speak it. And he says, sorry, I lost my place here, 26. He says, verse 27, what I tell you in darkness, speak in the light. There we go. And what you have heard whispered in your ear, proclaim upon what? The housetops. He's telling us that true discipleship involves sharing in the Lord's rejection. And we should anticipate this. And he keeps telling us over and over and over again, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. In 28, he gives another warning. He says, do not fear. Do not fear those who kill the body, but are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and the body in hell. And then he kind of warms up a little bit. Listen, he goes, are not two sparrows sold for a cent? And yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Are we worried about death? Are we worried about suffering? Are we worried about the consequences of speaking God's word? We don't need to be because it's not going to happen until our time is done. 
I was speaking to somebody the other day who's suffering with a pretty serious disease, and they made the comment. They said, I know my days are numbered. I know God's sovereignty. I know the last, he's got it determined, my last breath. Listen, nothing is going to happen to us until God decides that it's time for us to go. And then he says in verse 30, but the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So do not fear. You are more valuable than many sparrows. Therefore, if everyone who confesses me before men, I will confess him before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my father who is in heaven. Three times here, he tells us not to fear. And he says, don't fear, proclaim my word. Speak truth to my enemies. Stand up strong and be a disciple of Christ and speak truth. And we're to proclaim it from the housetops. There's nothing more obvious than somebody on a roof screaming God's word. That's not hiding. That's not running. We dare not deny him or he will deny us. It's pretty sobering. Specifically, we shouldn't fear man. Why is that? Proverbs 29, 25 says the man, the fear of man brings a snare, but he who trusts in the Lord will be exalted. We've probably all experienced this. The fear of man is crippling. Why? Because it keeps us and makes us and forces us to yield to human pressure. And that keeps us from doing right. Don't fear man. There's one more thing that we really need to know. We should never fear the plans of the wicked. In Psalm 37, 12, it says, The wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes at him with his teeth, and the Lord laughs at him, for he sees his day coming. God isn't worried. He knows the plans of man. He knows what wicked governments are doing. He knows what evil people are doing to plot, and he laughs, not in a sense of silliness. But what he's saying is they're going to be brought to justice. So we need to leave room, of course, for God's wrath. We know the end of the story, right? So Satan wants to create fear within us to keep us from from witnessing the gospel. And for for many of us, it's just the fear of being uncomfortable. I mean, they might ask me a hard question. I'm not comfortable giving the gospel. It could be something as simple as that. That's why we need to be taught, be confident in what we know so that we can give the gospel to those that, we, that God brings us into providence with. But that's not his ultimate goal. Fear only, lo- only leads to his true goal. He has an end game. And what's that end game? B, he wants to silence the truth. He wants to silence the truth. That's clearly why the Jewish leaders arrested the apostles. They had to stop them. They were speaking the gospel. People were being treasonous, leaving the Jewish religion, and they were turning to Christ. They had to stop them. They had to silence them. They had to keep them from being able to speak. And friends, as far as I can tell, that's exactly 
what we're seeing today in America. Exactly. In case you haven't noticed, a major cultural shift is taking place right before our eyes. Christianity that has always been accepted as part of our, 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 our founding fathers, as part of our culture, is disappearing. It's disappearing. And believers are increasingly under attack. And exactly what is under attack? Freedom of speech. Freedom of speech. You know, America has been so blessed for more than two centuries of relative stability. And even though the word Christian isn't mentioned in our constitutional documents, the founding fathers were certainly influenced by God's word. If you read those documents, it sounds like a theology book. And that's probably a lot of people haven't read those, probably haven't been exposed to those. I don't know whether a lot of the educational systems are still requiring that. I I suspect probably not. So they were clearly God-fearing men making a sincere attempt to establish a new nation on biblical principles, and that's equality and justice and liberty. And one of the liberties that they recognized as inalienable and sacred was the freedom of religion. The First Amendment to our Constitution says this, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging or hindering the what? Freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right of the people peacefully to assemble, or to petition the government for a redress of grievances. According to our Constitution, then, government is prohibited from promoting any one particular religion over another, Or, now listen, forbidding the free speech of religion. They're not not to do that. They're prohibited from doing that, supposedly. And that also includes interfering with the press. Our founding fathers were extremely wise men. They understood depravity. That's why we have all these checks and balances in our system that are being ignored today. For, for a large part. We're going to talk about that, the press, in just a few minutes. Freedom of speech is especially, as it relates to religion, is exactly what America has been built on. It makes America, America, unlike other parts of the world. But that's slipping away. That's slipping away as our country moves further and further away from God. Do you guys see this in culture? Give me a nod or a yes or... Whatever, yes. Are you, are you watching this? Some people pay attention and some don't. I want to show you something that's very interesting, a key shift in an American culture. This is really pretty shocking. The mix of believers and unbelievers has changed dramatically from 2006 to 2020. And again, despite the fact that we've been built on Judeo-Christian ethics Religious influence in America has steadily declined. Recent statistics from Public Religion Research Institute revealed a startling shift. It uncovered that Americans identifying as evangelicals has dropped from 23% in 2006 
to 14.5% in 2020. It also revealed that those unaffiliated with any religion grew from 16% in 2006 to 24% in 2020. That is a shocking reversal in a relatively short amount of time. But it really shouldn't surprise us if we're acquainted with end-time prophecy. Scripture predicts that there's going to be a wholesale abandonment of Christianity as we get closer to the tribulational period. There's going to be a major following away from the faith prior to the tribulation. So this decline then of professing evangelicals, I think to some degree, helps explain the recent assaults on Christianity. And I believe wholeheartedly that the enemy of our souls is working to sabotage the proclamation of the gospel. And he's doing so with forcing believers to remain silent. The pressure is really coming from everywhere. It's coming from our government. It's coming from civil courts. It's coming from big business. It's coming from big tech, certainly mainstream media and and social media. And it's called cancel culture, in case you've not heard that term. And there's no one more targeted than conservative Christians. And that's not an accident. Why? Because the devil wants to shut our mouths. He does not want us giving truth. And so I believe that he's working through cancel culture to accomplish that. The Judeo-Christian values that were so common for the last few hundred years are now mocked, belittled, and certainly canceled. But it hasn't happened overnight. Anti-God secularists have conducted a decades-long war on Christianity with a goal of erasing it from American life. The silencing of the Christian voice began in 1962 when prayer was banned in schools. I was three years old. How many of you remember that? Been a ways back. So at that time, the U.S. Court, Supreme Court ruled that praying in school violated the First Amendment. Bad move. Bad move. And that set the precedent for the next wave of silence. Later that year, in the same year, 1962, Bibles were banned in schools. Ten years later, in 1973, abortion was legalized. Since then, over 63 million babies have been aborted. It's a number greater than the population of most countries. If that wasn't bad enough, in 2015, same-sex marriage was legalized. It struck down all restrictions on homosexual marriage. And then in 2020 came a huge victory for the LGBTQ+, when the courts issued a ruling that redefined the meaning of sex According to discrimination law, on June 15th, the U.S. Supreme Court issued a landmark 6-3 decision that said discrimination in the workplace of gay, lesbian, and transgenders was outlawed. It included sexual orientation and personally chosen gender identity. Now, here's here's, here's the result of that. That forces employers to hire those that they do not agree with in terms of religious convictions. 
Now you may say, well, it's not fair that they do that anyway. That's a whole nother topic for debate. But the issue is, is that if most businesses, if a gay or lesbian or transgender want to work there, it would be discrimination for people to say, we don't want that here. Since 2014, Facebook has been very helpful by giving us 56 ways to self-identify in terms of one's sex. The choices include everything from no gender, how about that one, I don't have a gender, to transgender, to pangender, which means that you're all genders at one time. Sounds crazy, doesn't it? That's what's being taught, and Apple wasn't to be outdone, of course. They came out with an emoji. If you have an iPhone, you can now pull up a pregnant man as an emoji. So what is driving all this, especially over the last eight or ten years? What's really driving this? And, and that the agenda is from the far-left woke culture. You've probably heard the word woke. We need to know what it means. We need to know what it looks like. We hear it all the time. The woke ideology is basically a hypersensitivity to perceived injustices. Woke can be described this way. A radical leftist interpretation of human and civil rights that results in extreme political correctness. Political correctness is destroying this country because it's ignoring fact. It's ignoring real science. Those who are woke demand tolerance, and they're getting ruthless. They demand that you tolerate them. It doesn't mean that you just kind of disagree and, and you leave them the way they are. It doesn't mean that anymore. Tolerance at this point means that they demand that you agree with their side of the equation. And what's ironic, they demand tolerance, but they're the most intolerant group of all. They're mean-spirited. They're brutal. And so if you disagree, if you disagree with their radical wokeness, then you'll be canceled or you'll be silenced. The woke movement sees those who hold biblical values as backward, ignorant, and a serious threat to democracy. I have been immersed in this darkness for two weeks. And it is a, a, amazingly pervasive. We are, we are experiencing a tsunami. A drop at a time, it's a tsunami. And I'm going to be glad to be done with it because I've been in sitting in this darkness learning about all this. And I want, to, I want to kind of expose you to some of the stuff that's going on, real stuff that's going on. And so let's look at some examples. Let's first of all consider big business. I'll cite a couple of examples. Two Kroger employees who believe that homosexuality was a sin were fired for their refusal to wear a logo resembling a gay pride flag. What would you do? If they came to you and said, you have to wear this, this pride button, what would you do? I was told this morning that they won the case, I guess, which is encouraging. By the way, there have been some very encouraging things happen, I think, 
on the political or national uh, level. Another Christian employee didn't complete his employer-forced diversity training. That's going on everywhere. And he, he, he quit because parts of the content contradicted his religious beliefs. The course presented employee an employee with a scenario in which a male coworker was undergoing a gender transition. And the employer mandated that the man who was claiming to be a woman now be addressed as she and her, or you get fired. That's going on in big corporate America. What would you do in that case? I've often thought about, I haven't been in that scenario, but I've often thought about the Bruce Jenner situation or Caitlin. If you were around him, would you call him Bruce or Caitlin? We're supposed to be people of truth. We could debate that about whether that's loving or unloving or whatever, but, but that's, that's the reality. The businesses that, that we now support have become woke it's exploded. Many of the companies, I'm going to show you in just a minute, you have them on your notes, I guess, but um, are protesting Florida's parental rights and education. They don't want parents to have rights in education. They don't want to have a say-so. They say they don't know anything. Whose child is it? Is it theirs or is it yours? We're responsible as parents, not a school system, not a government. And so they're also fighting with don't say gay bill. They're also promoting that, a lot of these large companies. Some of them are supporting Black Lives Matter, LGBTQ causes, abortion rights, mandating diversity training. Many of them are pulling advertising from Twitter after Elon Musk took over. So here are some of them that I thought we'd be a little more familiar with. Tech companies and social media. Google has gone woke. Apple has gone woke. AT&T. IBM, Dell Technologies, of course, Facebook. What about shopping? Amazon, Walmart, Best Buy, Kohl's, Levi Strauss, The Gap, eBay, Dollar Tree, Lowe's, Bath and Body Works. And you're probably familiar with Mattel Toys. That's become very woke. And in case you've not heard, the American Girl Dolls now include a book encouraging three to 12-year-old little girls to seek puberty blockers if they experience some discomfort with their bodies. Are you guys familiar with all the, the gender changing of children? Have you been following that at all? Some of the hospitals are, are mutilating children at very early age. And the parents, I, I saw a, a guy the other day that his wife has won the case and she's wanting to have his son neutered. And everybody's supporting it. And I felt sorry for the guy. He said, I've done every legal thing I can. They're going to destroy my son's life. It's hard to imagine that's going on in America, isn't it? But it is. Here's one we're going to all recognize, Target. They're still fighting the bathroom battle. AFR is still trying to uh, um, sign people up to, to, to boycott Target. And every, I've been in there a couple times. I normally don't like shopping there, but I always thought I could just walk in there. My daughter could be in there and some guy just walk in there. This is one of the displays during Pride Month. That's what it looks like in case you've not seen that yet. How about the food industry? There's Kroger. There's Whole Foods. Burger King, Coca-Cola, Ben & Jerry's, Starbucks, Nabisco. 
What about Oreos? Eating Oreos then helps support gay pride. If you've not seen that. Let's consider finance for a moment. The Bank of America has gone woke. Discover has gone woke. MasterCard has. Golden Sachs. PayPal. Citigroup. J.C. Morgan. Just as a side note, by the way, we may be moving to a completely cashless society where those above us can, can control or say no or yes on how you spend your money. I don't know all the details about that. I'm not smart about that. But I know there's some serious things coming down the road that, that there isn't going to be cash anymore. And they can actually cancel your purchases or good. This may be setting us up for the, for the tribulation. What about travel? If you fly on American Airlines, you're flying with a woke company, Delta Airlines, United Airlines, Hilton Hotels, Marriott, TripAdvisor. How about the entertainment community? Hollywood, you cannot watch a new show in most commercials without them supporting some sort of homosexual couple. Netflix, Comcast, Disney. Disney stocks have plummeted because they're, they're moving toward this woke position. One of Disney's top producers recently boasted about Disney's not-at-all-secret gay agenda. This includes addressing queerness in children's programming. Sports, most of us like sports, NCAA, NBA, NFL, NHL, Nike, Under Armour. What about miscellaneous companies? Ford Motor Company, General Motors, Honda, CVS Pharmacies, Pinterest, PetSmart, Verizon, Uber, Bath and Body Works, Blue Cross and Blue Shield. Now, we have talked before, where can I spend my money that I'm not supporting a woke company. And now if I asked you that, what would you say? Almost impossible. I was talking with some people this morning. There's Amish out there. You know, there's, there's places like that. We went up to, is it Bailey's up there? Have you guys ever been up there? Like big warehouse, I guess. That, that's, I don't think they're woke. Didn't appear to be woke. What are we going to do? How do we keep from spending our money and supporting this new agenda to promote sexual orientation. Very difficult. There are companies, there are websites, by the way, you can go on, and, but you're not going to find very many. And by the way, this was a smidgen, just a small smidgen. I just thought the, the ones that you'd be familiar with over the companies. that It is a tsunami, friends. It's massive, and I was just sort of, Kind of discouraged as I went through this, I just kept seeing this and bigger and bigger and bigger what's going on. This is not a minor movement. This is the direction of America. What about the driving force? What's really driving this? Well, who's most responsible for censorship? Social media is. Social media has grown exponentially and so has their power. If you're paying attention at all, to the political stuff, you've seen it. Conservative voices are increasingly being censored or canceled. Most of you are aware of Elon Musk's $44 billion deal with the purchase of Twitter. Since then, if you followed this, there's been a release of a series of Twitter threads that has exposed Twitter's silencing techniques. And I believe this affected the um, uh, presidential race. It's probably, probably uh, affected a lot of the races. 
It's called shadow banning. I'm going to take you into the tech world a little bit, which I know nothing about. It's called shadow banning. And teams of Twitter employees build these blacklists of conservative voices to prevent them from trending. Let me give you a couple of examples. Supposedly, they are controlling the content of Hunter Biden's laptop. And they were also doing it during, again, the the uh, January 6th Capitol attack, where they were, they were silencing voices who were disagreeing with the liberal voice. In other words, those who felt like there was something behind it, they were being uh, shadow banned. They were being suppressed. It's been revealed that the FBI, at least from what the, the threads say, has been interacting with Twitter employees to eliminate what they determined to be disinformation. There's an example of Stanford's, uh, Stanford's uh, Dr. J. Uh, Batakaria, a professor of medicine at Stanford, Stanford University, and he posted that COVID lockdowns would harm children. And then he, he exposed some of the COVID concerns, some of the COVID shenanigans, and he, he was placed then on a trends blacklist, which prevented his tweets from trending. Or consider the popular right-wing talk show host, Dan Bongino, who was slapped with a search blacklist. Charlie Kirk, maybe you know him, uh, Turning Point USA, he was placed on a do not amplify list. Think about this for a minute. This is so powerful that they banned the president of the United States, the most powerful man in the world, from their platform. That's power. Think about that. I don't care where you stand on that. That's not the issue. So these tech giants have tremendous power to manipulate political and cultural thought. Be careful of mainstream. Get some resources that are more trusted. Some of the, our conservative guys follow that, and they're very helpful. Talk to some of the deacons. Our, our nation has been flooded with lies and deception. I was scrolling through Facebook, and I saw this. Maybe you've had this come up before. Sensitive content. This photo may show violent or graphic content. And what did I have to do? <laughs> I had to click on it, right? I had to see what it was. I clicked on it, and it was Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God. A very real example. They consider that misinformation. They consider that some sort of graphic or violent content of Scripture. How about the government and judicial system? There certainly is a growing persecution from Government, all governments from Australia, Canada, Great Britain, and other Western nations, they passed hate speech laws. One of our missionaries was here last week, not one of ours, but one that we know, Tim Phillips. And I believe that it was um, maybe his wife's mother and dad live in Canada. And so because of the subject, they came up and talked. And he said, I got to tell you, he said, the most dangerous thing in the world is this wokeness. And so we talked about what's happened in Canada. You know, there's been pastors arrested up there for preaching what the scriptures say. And so all these laws then are designed to prohibit teaching what the Bible says about things like homosexuality and transgenderism and false religion. Our government determined that during COVID, during the pandemic, they were openly dominating and discriminating against churches and shutting them down. They were allowing bars and liquor stores and marijuana shops 
to stay open. So church wasn't deemed essential, but marijuana shops were. If you've watched our court system, it's failing in a, in a big way because so many of them have turned to wokeness. We have a growing number of liberal judges working with liberal DAs that are letting career felons free, even though they have a lengthy rap sheet. You've probably seen that. Some of my murders, they go into jail, they let them go. The police are going, you know, what's, 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 why is it worth even doing this? They put their lives on the line to get rid of these criminals, and then the judges and DAs are just letting them go. How about our educational system? I want to give you just a couple of examples. Before I say that, I want to clarify something. I talked to a teacher this morning about the Peru school system. It's about Maconaqua in Peru. And none of the administrations are supporting wokeness. So I was very encouraged about that. So as I talk about the educational system, I'm not talking about our teachers or, or in Peru here. But there's a massive movement going on in our education system, in our higher education system. It's more indoctrination than it is education. A nine-year-old girl from Milton, Massachusetts, asked her parents, what does bisexual mean? Nine-year-old girl. Well, it turns out that the librarian read a book to the class called Harvey Milk, and Harvey Milk was the first American openly gay politician in California. She also gave the history of the rainbow flag and gave a directive to the eight and nine-year-olds to remember the letters LGBTQ. West Hartford Public Schools in Connecticut introduced a gender ideology in kindergarten as part of what it calls social justice lessons. This taught five and six-year-olds that their parents and doctors who assigned them their sex might have gotten it wrong. Bugby Elementary School in West Hartford hosted an event for parents called Gender 101, and the training was entirely based on gender ideology, and parents who attended said that the instructor inserted that gender is ultimately determined by the individual. That is an attack on God as creator. I could go on and on and on. I briefly want to mention woke churches. That's a real danger at this point. The current trend is that many of the churches are interpreting the Bible through the lens of culture rather than interpreting culture through the lens of Scripture. There's all kinds of compromise going on. As a matter of fact, I read an article with somebody that you know, a nationally known pastor, spoke at some church, and he spoke on against same-sex marriage. He spoke on the, the, the male and female, if that's the only. And so he got feedback from that. This is somebody you know, somebody that's well-known, written a lot of books, and pretty solid. Went back and apologized to the LBGTQ crowd because he made them feel bad. That's the kind of compromise that's going on. People have to feel bad for the gospel. They have to recognize. So they were hurt by it, and he went back and apologized. So I'm so sorry that I hurt you. The demand for repentance from sin is being avoided because it offends people. It claims that it hurts them. Friends, my friends, listen, that compromising is damning. We cannot compromise that way. And if we speak truth 
about gender and about marriage. It's going to hurt people. We don't do it intentionally just to hurt people. But to compromise in that is to compromise on the gospel. And to compromise on the gospel is to give another gospel. There really is no gospel, as Paul says. Now, you may think, well, none of this is really occurring in Peru, but it is. There's an organization called Peru Pride Alliance. Some of you have heard, I've talked to a few of you. Some of you have heard about Stan's Bar and Grill out at Grissom. This is a true thing. And here are some of their Facebook posts. Approving sexual dysphoria, they say, you are exactly as you should be. To question your sex is exactly right. That's what they're saying. And directed at kids, says, prioritize the safety of queer kids over the discomfort of adults. It's here. It's out there. And they hosted a holiday horror drag brunch. Brunch. Now, this is what they say on their Facebook. You can go and look it up. Creating a safe place to educate, share, express, and smile. Our LGBTQ plus community is ever evolving and growing, and so should acceptance and understanding. We are proud of a community we surround ourselves with in Miami County. While there is tremendous support, there is also an abundance of hatred and negativity toward what we do. They would consider this hatred. And negative. They say that we've been lashed out at many times and we're proud to stand tall as a shield to those in our community. Our drag brunches will meet scrutiny, but they will continue to allow expression and inclusiveness with our LGBTQ youth and allies. Certain drag drag shows are meant for adults, and there are other drag shows who are specifically cast coordinated and geared for younger individuals to allow youth to see that drag is a specific type of entertainment in which every last detail from lyrics to custom costumes are edited for their specific audience. Those are drag queen shows to children. You've probably heard about drag queen reading hour. Um, Kirk Cameron was rejected by 50 or 60 or 75 of those before he could read his book in the library. goes on to say, if parents would focus more on their children's social media accounts, television access, and internet and privileges, they would see that all-age drag show is the least of their worries. So, you, sh- you can allow-, allow them to go to the drag queen shows, but just watch what TV shows they watch. So, what has happened What's the root cause of all this chaos? I have taught this before, but I felt necessary to teach again that Romans 1 explains when a culture rejects God, he withdraws his grace, and that is called abandonment wrath. That's what we're experiencing. That chapter teaches that after a time of rejection, we don't know the time, but certain time, a society becomes so wise in their own eyes that in reality they become fools. So God withdraws his grace in stages. First of all, he turns them over to a sexual freedom according to Romans 1.24. 
That just, that's like the 60s, this sexual freedom. It says they turn their bodies over to be used however they want. Secondly, he turns them over to homosexuality, Romans 1, 26 through 27. It could not be any clearer on what God, how God feels about that. Thirdly, he turns them over to an empty mind, Romans 1, 28 through 31. And I believe this is where we are. Let's look at it. He says, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. So at some point, a culture quits acknowledging God. And I think we're there. We're in a post-Christian culture. And it says that God gave them over to what? A depraved mind. Why? To do the things which are not proper. So when rejection of God goes on for some period of time, God will give those people over to the full desires of their heart. You know what that looks like? That looks like chaos, and it looks like free chaos. Like, wow, we can do everything we want. There's no restraint. There's no standard. There's no rule. Because they no longer see the Bible. So it looks like freedom, but my friends, listen. What looks like freedom to them, we have to know it's a time of judgment. That's judgment, what's going on right now. And the only explanation, the lightning speed with which this is catching on, is that God is doing it. God is allowing it. God is opening the floodgates. Now, what does this look like? 29 tells us, 29 through 32. Being filled, I want you to, I think I've got that marked on your sheet, being filled with unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder. Are you seeing all the murders on TV? Strife, deceit, malice, they're gossip, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. There's a big one. A sign without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And although they know the ordinance of God, those who practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but they also give what? Hearty approval to those who practice them. It's shocking how quickly our culture is approving such violations of God's will. And they're convinced, people. They are absolutely convinced. There's a delusion going on that doesn't even make logical sense. All kinds of vile practices are now being legalized and normalized and applauded. In Erwin Lutzer's book, he makes the comment, you better stand up and applaud or you're going to be taken down. Romans 15, 4 tells us that everyone, everything that has been written in the Old Testament would given to us for our instruction. Now, I want you to notice that there's a parallel in our social realities that existed in Israel. Nothing's new. So we go back to the Old Testament. We go, what happened? What caused this? We find this in Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. No authority. No spiritual direction. 
Everyone doing right in their own eyes signifies a culture that's rejected God and has become completely individualistic and completely narcissistic and completely self-centered. Everybody has to have it their way. Everybody's hurt. Everybody's sensitive. Everybody needs safe space. What has happened? We've rejected God, and these are the consequences. Morality, whether it's right or wrong, is determined by one's own self-will and desire. That's like looking into a, a cesspool and trying to figure out what's good in there. So this is the way Israel was. And by the way, it wasn't the first time they had heard this same indictment back in chapter 17. Here's what my point is. And in between those accusations, accusations, they suffered one crisis after another. And the most appalling description of moral spiritual chaos took place. For example, there was starvation. God warned them, don't do what's right in your own eyes. Starvation came. Idolatry came. Fraudulent religious system grew. There was rape. There was civil war. And I found this interesting, dysfunctional manhood. It's interesting also to note that the state of immorality sincerely affected their economy. Does that sound like America? Again, this record was given to us to instruct us on what it looks like when a culture loses its sight on God and finds meaning solely in individuals. And it eventually morphs into anarchy. So what do we do? What do we do now that you've been washed over with crud? What do we do? What do we learn from Peter and John? Well, I believe the Holy Spirit is telling us this. Don't hide. Don't hide. Engage culture with courage and boldness because God has called us to be salt and light. Don't hide. We can't hide. We've got to engage culture. I think Matthew 5, 13 through 16 sums it up well for us. He first gives us a warning. He says, you are salt of the earth. But if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Listen, East Point. Let's don't become tasteless. Let's be salt. It's preserving. Its nature is preserving. And our talking about God and our living for God is a preservative in this culture to the degree that it can be. It's up to you and I. Who else is going to do this? Are we going to hide? I don't want to hide, do you? I'm a little uncomfortable preaching this. My wife said, I'm uncomfortable with you. Are you going to teach this? I said, I am. Look at verse 14. You are the what? Light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on the lampstand, it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The biggest problem we have today is the church has become tasteless. And it's lost its light. Listen, East Point. 
Let's make a commitment. And we got to do this together. Let's make a commitment to not hide our lamp under a rug. Let's go forth in boldness and encourage, just like Peter and John. Because that's why we're called. That's why we've been left here. Is to speak truth to a dark and dying world. So let's don't hide. This is what we're dealing with, though. We're dealing in Romans 1. And the only hope there is, is you and I. Swallow hard and go out of here determined to not hide and back down. Amen? Yes, sir. Glad that's done. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful, Lord, that you've given us your word. I thank you for our church. I know there's people out here. I, I, I see them all the time. I look into their eyes, and I know they're fired up to be holy, godly, to push back against this demonic silence. Lord, we will not be silenced. We will not be silenced with your grace and the power of your spirit. We can stand up against all enemies because we know that you are sovereign over the whole thing. Help us, God, to love where we need to love. Help us to love in such a way that we know people have the truth, even though it may hurt. Help us to be strong and ultimately trust in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.